Good morning, Victory Life Church. Great to see you today. Welcome. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on, on staff, and it's my great privilege to greet you this morning. Uh, we had a great week of vacation Bible school. We had almost 100 kids here learning about God's Word. Isn't that cool? So it was indeed an awesome week uh, for our kids and our volunteers and our director of children's ministry, Jody, Jody Ganley. And so we're really excited to hear from them this morning. I think they're, we're going to hear from them today, aren't we? Yeah, so it's going to be very, very cool. They'll be up on stage here momentarily. But if this is one of your first times joining us, we want to express a very special welcome to you. And uh, if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church, you can take one of those communication cards that can be found on the seat back in front of you and just fill that out and meet me at the Welcome Center afterwards. We have a free gift for you for just joining us this morning. For those of you joining us online, just go to vlchurch.com and click on the banner that says, Are You New Here? Fill out that form and it'll come straight to me and I will connect with you sometime this week. We would consider it an honor and a privilege to join you in your faith journey indeed. Have one big announcement, one big reminder really. We have our next Pursue Night that's coming up Friday, August 19th. And uh, we are uh, combining that with our annual picnic uh, that evening. So we're going to have a barbecue night together, game night after we worship with one another. And uh, we're really excited about that. We are 38 years old as a church. Did I get that right, Matt? Wow. Matt just sighed, a sigh of relief and amazement. Um, This church has been blessed, and it's been a blessing uh, in this community and around the world, and has bore great fruit. Some of that fruit you got to experience last week when Brent Blake uh, preached a sermon. Raise your hand if you were here last week and you had the privilege of hearing Brent. Wasn't he awesome? And, you know, Brent grew up in our youth group here, and I know Amanda Hall probably has several stories about Brent. We heard about some of those this week, and but it's just really cool to see the fruit that comes from the tree that is known as Victory Life Church. Brent is now in Toledo, Ohio. He planted a church, and things are going well. But, you know, God has blessed Victory Life Church. There are many other stories like his story, you know, where God has done really cool things uh, through through uh, Victory Life. And so we want to celebrate that next uh, on, on Friday, August 19th. And we hope that you'll join us. We'll spend our first hour together worshiping, drawing near to God, and hopefully hearing from the Lord, and then spend the next hour or so out in our backyard just enjoying one another's company, eating some good barbecue, and just having a great time. We hope that you'll join us. Well, that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning. If you've come to worship the Lord with your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. You can text to give, or you can give online at vlchurch.com backslash give, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning, and our ushers will be awaiting you as you do so. I can I ask you to stand, and as we prepare for worship, let's bow for a quick word. Psalm 25.1 says, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name, for in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. God, that is why we worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. You put your hands together.
we here at Victory Life Church believe that there is only one truth in the way, and it's Jesus Christ. He is the light to the darkness around us. He's the hope to the hopeless and broken. So this morning, would you bow your heads with us and pray as we just thank him for who he is and what he's done. Heavenly Father, we know and believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We were broken, but you made the way straight by being perfect and taking our sins onto yourself on the cross and making a way to reconnect to you, our Father. So we worship you in your greatness this morning and thank you for who you are. Amen.
Father God, we praise you for that greatness today. For you are the one who spun out the universe, yet cared enough to write each one of our DNA. You are the one who holds all things in your hand. And you are the one who sent Jesus, who can rewrite every life story. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have rewritten so many stories here. Stories that had no hope, but now have hope. Stories that were not headed towards life, but now have life. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your greatness today. And Lord, I ask today that as our children come and remind us of just how great you are, that you'd stir our hearts, Lord, and we'd remember what we know to be true about you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'm Pastor Matt. Welcome once again to Victory Life Church this morning. If you are here to see some niece, nephew, grandkid, or otherwise come and sing, well, you have come to the right place. This was our VBS week this week, and I'm not going to steal any thunder here this morning. I'm going to turn it over to our children's director in just a moment, but as the kids are coming, we have a video that's going to show you some highlights from our VBS week this week. So it's going to play, and then our children's director, Jody, is going to tell you all about what our kids have for us today. are so glad that you guys came to see these kiddos today. We had a monumental week at VBS this week. We saw God's love. We learned from the story of Joseph. And we made great relationships with each other and the uh, fellows that came and volunteered and gave their time. And we're really excited to share some of our learning with you So if I can have Nora come on up and start us off. Ready? Your unfailing love will last forever. Psalm 89, 2.
For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1 9. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. Palms, Psalms, 14.7.5. Very good. We, we did learn about God's great power this week, and we saw God's great power this week. We saw God's great power with connections between crew leaders and these kids who shared with their crew leaders, the crew leaders prayed for them, they talked through hard things, they talked through exciting things, they built great and wonderful relationships with each other. And we are so thankful 
to all of the people who made VBS possible. So if you were part of the process of making VBS happen here at Victory Life in 2022, would you please stand up? I'll call you out if you don't, so. <sighs> all right. Wait, stay standing. You guys ready to say thank you and clap and cheer for the people who made this happen? One, two, three. We are so appreciative of your love and support for the kids. And that was only, what, maybe two-thirds or half the kids that were here this week. So we are so grateful that they are with us. Once again, if you're here with us for the very first time, we're so glad that you have uh, chosen to spend your Sunday morning with us. We are going to take a look at the exact same story that the kids were looking at this week. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn in them to Genesis chapter 37 as we survey the story of Joseph. I am so thrilled what, with what the kids took offering for this week. I don't know if you are aware, but the kids brought in offerings of $2.50 over and over and over again because we contacted our local homeless shelter and said, what do you need? And they said, one of our biggest needs are bus passes so that people who are getting back on their feet can get to and from work. Our kids have now donated hundreds of bus passes to the local homeless shelter. They were, they were getting in all of their uh, drawers at home and all of their pockets and all of their piggy banks, and they are giving people the great dignity of work. So we're so glad that they were so generous. And uh, if you wanna see them again, they'll be back in second service. I got the opportunity, I was told I had the opportunity to be part of registration this week at VBS. I did not know that by meeting all of the VBS families and all of the different folks who were coming in that I would also be putting myself in line to take a pie to the face. Because if you're one of the faces of VBS, apparently you get a pie and that was the payoff. If the kids bought enough bus passes, certain people would take a pie to the face. And I did. Which was really interesting, not because I haven't taken a pie to the face before, 
different story, different day. It was interesting because my sons were horrified by this. They said, Dad, you cannot get pied. I'm like, why? They're like, you just can't. You're our dad. I'm like, worse things have happened to me than getting pied. Why can't I get pied? You just can't because you're our dad. Apparently, somehow, getting, somehow in their minds at five and eight, their dad getting pied was, pied was somehow below the family's dignity. I wanted to tell them, we've done things far less dignified. <laughs> but every family kind of has these unwritten rules, right? These things that are unspoken, these, these aspects of who they are and how they relate to one another that are, are just who they are. That's their family. And that was the neat part about doing registration. I learned about a bunch of different families, and you find out all types of family situations and living situations, and every family has a different way of doing things. When I was taking my initial counseling courses during my undergraduate work, I became aware of a, of, a, of, a, of a phrase, it's called family of origin. And the idea in starting your counseling classes with family of origin is that that family that you begin with, your family of origin, often is defining for your life. The ways that you act, the things that you think, the, the processes by which you do life are, are defined in many ways, and maybe in the strongest ways, by the family that we come from. In fact, I think some would argue that our family of origin, that family we come from, is the single greatest defining factor of our lives. But I would not argue that. In fact, that's not what our kids were taught this week. In fact, the kids who came to this VBS were taught something different. While your family can be incredibly defining, God ultimately defines who you are. God has the power to define and redefine our entire identity. And the story that the children learned about this week was a story of a family who had their entire definition, who they were, rewritten. And it was rewritten in the power of God. And that's the story of the first family of holy history, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and eventually Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph. We're going to see how God has the power to surprise an entire family and rewrite their story in a powerful, powerful way. Are you in Genesis chapter 37? Let's take a look at this Jacob and his son Joseph. In fact, we'll take a look at Jacob and his 12 sons, Joseph, who is one of those sons, and see how God rewrites their story. He becomes the defining factor of their lives. Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 and following. Jacob grandson of Abraham, lived in the land of his father Isaac's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of his brothers to their father. Now Israel, or Jacob is his other name, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. How I love my coat. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. 
And he said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered round it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. What a messed up family. Hot mess, as some of my friends would call it. These people are in trouble. First and foremost, we're introduced to the idea that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his 12 sons, they were sojourners in the land of Canaan, not yet Israel. They were strangers, foreigners in a foreign land. They didn't own a lot of property. They didn't own a lot of land. They were in a place where they were constantly relying upon the Lord's provision and protection. That's not so bad. In fact, God had planned it that way. What's bad is some of the family dynamics that are going on in the midst of this family. And the first that we're introduced to, though not expressly stated, is this is a family of polygamy. In fact, Jacob had four wives. Now, there is nowhere in Scripture that I am aware of where you have polygamy where things turn out well. It's always a mess, always rife with jealousy and rivalries and problems and strife, always, always, always. And this family is no different. Because one of the youngest sons, Joseph, is the favorite. And Joseph takes it upon himself that in the midst of the family business of raising and and tending flocks and herds and cattle, he is going to report on his brothers. That is code for tattling. He's going to make sure his older brothers are held to account by his father. Now, no one likes a tattletale. But no one really likes a tattletale who's younger. But this family tattling is not the worst part of what's going on in the midst of the family business. Dad has a favorite. Dad has somebody who's A number one. And dad is so not aware of what he is doing that he gives his son Joseph a very expensive coat of many colors, thank you, Donny Osmond, and makes sure that his son knows how much he loves him and thereby lets the other 11 know you are not loved as much. Now, I can't give one of my kids a Gatorade (laughs) without blessing the other four with a Gatorade. They would know that this is somehow a despicable behavior on the part of dad. But the lack of self-awareness or just not even caring that they know that he has a favorite is kind of bad. Now, I know you parents, you love them all the same, but you don't like them all the same. Come on. You know it's true. Some of them are more likable at some moments, aren't they? But you can't ever show that. See, this is a problem. This is a big problem because it's going to lead to jealousy and strife. It says that they hated Joseph, right? They hated him, and they couldn't even speak a kind word to him. And then Joseph, in all of his wisdom, decides when he has this dream about his brothers bowing down to him, to tell them. They already don't like him. He's already not picking up what they're putting down. He's already the favorite, and then he goes, oh, and one day you'll bow down to me. What do you guys think of that? He doesn't start in a position of wisdom in the story, does he? This family is a mess. The problem is it's about to get worse. In spite of all the things that we've just learned, I do want to make mention of this. This is the family through whom God will bring holy history. This is the family through whom Christ himself will descend. 
a family like this. Let's see it get worse. We're going to skip down to verse 18. One day Joseph is sent to inspect his brother's work, and his brothers hatch an evil plan that is to define the rest of their lives. Verse 18, they saw him from afar, and before Joseph came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben, the oldest brother, heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. He said this, that he might rescue him later and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of the robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. So now, this family, who is full of jealousy and strife and anger and rivalry, now has this extra charge. Conspiracy to commit fratricide. They're going to kill him because dad likes him best. What a bunch of horrible people. Horrible people. I mean, these people were people of wealth. They were people of means. Jacob was rich. His sons were rich by the standards of the day. But the fact that dad loves Joseph most and Joseph is obnoxious leads them to the concept that they should and can kill him. And Reuben comes in and says, spare his life. Now you might think Reuben is the hero of the story, but I'm not gonna take you back a couple of chapters to find out who Reuben was. I'll suffice it, I'll tell you. Reuben could have wanted to spare Joseph out of the goodness of his heart, but Reuben might have been sparing Joseph to get back in his father's good graces because Reuben had slept with one of his father's wives. Jerry Springer is blushing somewhere right now. This family was a mess. This is the family through whom holy history will come. This is the family through whom Christ will descend. Are you seeing it? Because I'm not. Now, look at verse 25. They sat down to eat, and looking up, these brothers saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Gilead's a fancy name for the other side of the Jordan River. When their camel, with their camels, and they were bearing gum and balm and myrrh, and they were going to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his other brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come now, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not us lay our hand upon him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. And then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And the Ishmaelites took Joseph to Egypt. So these wonderful, loving brothers decide, you know what, murder, not the best option. Let's just sell them into slavery. Such a notorious sin that the curse of it should have lasted for generations. This is vile, it is wicked, it is disgusting. They're submitting their brother to a potential lifetime of torture, and they're going to go back and tell their father their original story. He was devoured by a wild beast. They're depriving their father of his son. This is a mess. This is the family through whom God will bring holy history. 
This is the family from where Christ will descend. Now, as you may have figured out, I have spent the last 10 minutes telling you about this family so that you might feel better about your own. You're welcome. Your family has not descended to these depths, I'll bet. No, I didn't tell you about this family to make you feel better about your own, but it does make me feel slightly better, it's true. This family is full of pain and wounding and sin. And this pain and this jealousy and this wounding and sin, it could have been defining. This event right here should have, by all means, have been, or human means, should have been defining. This should have been that which defined everything forever. In fact, I will say this. This act of selling their brother into Egypt out of jealousy because dad loves him, because of this polygamous thing that's been going on, all of these sins that go back one after the other, after the other, after the other, this thing, selling their brother into Egypt, is going to define this family. But not in the way that you may suppose This family exhibits so many of the problems that so many families exhibit. There are the sins of the father. There are the sins of the children. There is the sibling rivalries that are going on. There's a father who is polygamous. There's a father who has favorites. There's a father who's made mistakes in in rearing his children. There are children of means who they, they, they have what they need materially, but they are bereft of morals. They're selfish and self focused which leads them to evil behavior. Now, I'm not saying that this is the experience of all of our families. I'm not saying that all of us are in the depths of this particular family. But if this family can, can reach such disgusting depths and still not be defined by the sin, but be defined by something else, then there's hope for every single situation that our families face today. Every single situation. Every single thing you got going on at home or with your adult children or with your parents who now that you're an adult and they live separately, whatever that situation is, if God can save this family from this level of sin and this level of dysfunction, God can surprise you and show his power in yours. Because as I've mentioned three times now, this is the family through whom God brings holy history and Christ will descend. In fact... Judah, who makes the big slavery plan, is actually a a direct forebearer of Jesus because Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. Now, many years pass, and I don't have the time to read you everything that takes place between 37 and 42 and then 45 today, but that's where we're going to be in just a moment, chapter 42. But years pass, and the good news for Joseph is that God never forsakes him. You might have assumed that. There is much pain, and there is much hardship. There is great injustice, but over the course of many years, God brings Joseph into a position where he is literally the prime minister of Egypt, the place where he has been sold as a slave. And it comes to be that he is the one who begins to be the lead and chief administrator of the food in Egypt during a massive famine. A famine that is going to send his brothers on their donkeys to Egypt looking for food. Many years later, he's going to see his brothers again, but they are going to be in very different positions. If you have your Bibles, turn in to chapter 42 to see what takes place. 
It says in chapter 42, verse 5, Thus the sons of Israel, that's Jacob, came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was great in the land of Canaan. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Many years later, these same brothers who have sold him into slavery are now in his power. They are coming from Canaan, across the Sinai Peninsula, stopping in Egypt, looking for food, and they go to the administrator, and the administrator is none other than the brother that they wanted to kill and who they sold into slavery. They think he's an Egyptian lord, and they bow down to him. And you might say, Joseph wins! But that's not what he needed. He didn't need this win. In fact, he didn't dream the dream on purpose. If I could dream dreams on purpose, I would, wouldn't you? I would love to dream specific dreams on purpose. Yes, I'm laying on a beach, enjoying the waves rolling in all night long until I wake up fully rested. I would love to dream specific dreams. Joseph didn't dream the dream on purpose. This isn't his dream. That was a dream that God gave him, telling him that he would get to this very moment. But when Joseph comes back in contact with his brothers, and I would encourage you to read 42 through 45, he's not in good shape. He is feeling the full weight of the sin, the full weight of the pain. In fact, if there's one thing that defines Joseph for the next few years, it's tears. Over and over and over again, when confronted by his brothers, still, them not knowing who he is, he weeps, and he's got to run away to weep. He is experiencing the full pain of what has been done to him. He has been traumatized. And he does not know what he's going to do. In fact, he speaks roughly to them here. And he goes through a couple of years of of different type of machinations with these brothers because he doesn't know what to do with them. What do you do with guys who sold you into slavery but are sons of your father? You were supposed to love them and they were supposed to love you, but this is a mess. What do you do with these guys? He has a decision to make. A decision that's either going to perpetuate the sins of his family or to do something different. And in chapter 45, he makes his decision. Why don't you turn there with me? Chapter 45, verse 1 and following. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So none of the Egyptians stayed with Joseph when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. They were dismayed at his presence. (laughs) So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. 
So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph chooses something different. Something different than his brothers would have chosen. And in the midst of all of this sin and strife, God is able to take the hot mess of this family and bring about a good end for all. Now, I I just am going to say this sidebar. This has nothing to do with where we're going to land in the next five to ten minutes. But, But the fact that God does not judge these 11 or 10 brothers harshly for sending their brother into slavery is an astounding thing. That God was actually trying to work things together for their good in spite of their sin. That's a side note. You can take that to the bank and and deposit it and and go there later. But but the, the crux of what I want to look at here that has to do with the power, the surprising power of God is verse 5. You yourselves sold me, for God sent me. You sinned. You did wrong. You are culpable and responsible for sin. But don't be distressed or angry because you sold me but God sent me. God took your sin, your shame, your wrongdoing, and did something good with it. In fact, I don't know how Joseph would have gotten to Egypt and how he would have rose to this position if his brothers had not sold him. But somehow in the providence of God, God would have spared this family because this was the family through whom holy history was going to come. God would have found another means. But God was able to take even the most vile of sin and redeem it. You sold me, but God sent me. This interaction is at the the very heart of what God is able to do. His surprising power that he can take the sins of fallen humanity and say, you chose that, but in my love and my forbearance and my patience and my goodness, I'm going to do better by you than you can even ask for or imagine because I am good. And that's what God does in this family. How? There had to be a change agent. There had to be one person who who cut in to to the very nature of this family of origin and said, we're not going to do things that way anymore. And that person was Joseph. That person was the sinful victim. And that's a phrase I like to use, sinful victim, because all victims are still sinners. And Joseph had sinned. Joseph had made mistakes here. He had had done things wrong because all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. Joseph had some faults here, but his brother's faults were greater. Joseph was the aggrieved party. Joseph was the one who had every right to look at his brothers and go, go back to Canaan and starve. If you want to send dad here, great. Joseph had every Every, every power within Egypt to say, clap them in irons, because I was clapped in irons. Joseph had every right, by human standards, 
to perpetuate the sin, but he didn't because he had his eyes on God and off himself. That's how a change agent makes a change in a family. They put their eyes and say, God, what are you doing? What have you done? And what do you want me to do? That's how these changes come about. Just one person has to say, I'm not going to sit here in my rights. I'm not going to sit here in my reasoning. I'm not going to sit here in my victimization. I am going to put my eyes on God and ask him what I am to do. And God had spoken plainly to Joseph to tell him, spare him, I'm sa- spare them, I'm saving them. I sent you here, though they sold you here. And Joseph said, God, I can see what you've done, and this has caused me pain, and this has caused me hardship, and I'm weeping some more. But I trust you, and I will follow you, and we will break the pattern of family sin, and this is going to stop here, because you have bigger plans for my family than I could ever have imagined. Just one person to put their eyes on God, and I will tell you, when you begin to make this specific change, God will change your family forever. When you decide not to wallow in it, but to say, God, where are you in this? Massive, wonderful, salvation-type change can take place when someone puts their eyes on God. Just one person. Someone had to show God-inspired forgiveness. That's the second thing that that had to take place here. Someone had to forgive on a God-inspired level. See, he had to have his eyes on God to say, Oh, God, I'm here to spare my my sinful, vile brothers. Boy, you love even them? Okay. Okay. Well, if you've forgiven them, I have to. I have to. Someone had to show God-inspired forgiveness. And this has to be God-inspired. I have trouble forgiving Someone who, who, who took my last Oreo. These guys, I don't even like Oreos, I just picked a random cookie. I, we have trouble forgiving for the, the smallest of offenses. We, we have our eyes on self, we have our eyes on our own pain, we have our eyes on our own victimization, we have our eyes on, on what people had ought to have done for us or ought to not to have done to us, and, and we just can't see what God is doing, and therefore we can't forgive as God forgives. But what a release for Joseph to have done the right thing. He could have wallowed in his own sin for the rest of his life if he'd retaliated against his brothers, but he didn't have to. He didn't have to wallow in his own sin. He broke the pattern of sin by forgiving in divine fashion. And that's God's call for some of us today. In fact, that's God's call for all of us today. And finally, if you have not heard it from my mouth, someone had to break the pattern of sin. Someone had to say, this is the way our family does things, but we're not going to do it that way anymore. We're not going to do it that way anymore. The pattern breaks here. The jealousy, the strife, the retaliation, the retribution, it stops here because it's not God-honoring. It's not God-honoring. My statement to you this morning is simple. 
if God can redeem the story of this family, if God can save these folks, whatever your family faces today, he can save yours, but he needs a change agent. It has always pleased the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to use people to get his work done, and he wants to use you. He wants to use you. Some of you parents of adult children today, you're the one. You're the one who needs to go and get things right. And you've been sitting in your pride for far too long. You've, you've, you've not been able to let that pride fall down to make things right. And I know what the risk is. My kids will blow it out of proportion. They'll make my sins against them bigger than they ever were. Well, you know what? They were kids. And so they were bigger than you imagined them to be. But you need to go make it right. Some of you need to be the change agent today by raising your children in righteousness and taking responsibility for that to break the pattern of sin. Because as I mentioned, this family had all the material means in the world, but they had no morality. And some of you have abdicated your role as someone to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You're letting somebody else do it. Their grandparents can do that. Their mother can do that. Their father can do that. My in-laws can do that, not me. You need to break that pattern today. Some of you are desperate today to paint somebody the villain. To let people know just how wounded you are and how much you've been hurt. And you know what? There are means and modes to do that healthily. But there are means and modes to do that with, which only perpetuate sin. And you know what those are. You're wise enough to know. God has a holy history for your family, something that he's ordained. You say, I can't see it. I can't see what that holy history might be. There's too much pain, too much yuck, too much stuff. God has it for you anyhow. He has a plan. He has a purpose. It just takes a change agent to believe that he is all-powerful and that he can surprise you. Would you put it in his hands? Put your eyes on him and ask him to change things. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? I was reminded this week that Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him. That strife existed even in his household. His brothers wanted him to go to Jerusalem in hopes that maybe he'd meet an untimely end. Lord and Savior of the universe had family strife. But towards the end of our Bibles, there's a book, one called James and one called Jude. And two of those same brothers call themselves servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, their brother. God can redeem any situation. He can make all things new. Perhaps you're here today and you are one of those parents of adult children that I'm talking about. And you'd say, my relationship with them is not what it ought to be. And in my pride, I have been unable 
to see or to change. But I need to. I need to. I'll be the change agent. Even if I think they're the sinners, I'll make the change. Just like Joseph. Well, then I want to pray for you today. Some of you may be that non-instructive parent. You are giving your children every bit of financial assistance that they need to grow up happy in the upper 10th percentile of human beings. But you're not teaching them to be moral or righteous or godly. And you need to be a change agent today. You need to do better than Jacob did. I want to pray for you. And some of you are in the position of Joseph today. You have been victimized. You have experienced trauma. And it takes everything in you today not to lash out. Not to wallow there and let it define you. Do not let it define you. Let the Lord Jesus define your future. I want to pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place. God, I pray for these open hearts that are open to you right now. God, I pray first for those parents of adult children who need to let their pride fall down and make things right. Even if they don't understand, even if they can't see fully what their children experienced, even if they think it's blown out of proportion, God, I pray that you would bring healing and restoration to families today. Because you can and you will when we keep our eyes on you. That's one of the hardest things in the world to be an older adult and to let our pride fall down. God, would you allow that to happen? For three times in your word, you said God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we seek grace today. God, for parents today who might be giving their children every blessing and benefit that the world has to offer but have relegated their right to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord to someone else but want to take back up that mantle, I pray you'd give them grace today. Help them to take up the mantle of being parents, aunts, uncles, foster parents who lead people in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and don't abdicate their rights to lead well under the mighty hand of God. And I pray finally for the Josephs in the room today those who are not immune from sin, those who have done wrong, but those who have had things done to them or upon them that are not right. And it's taking everything in them not to lash out. They go into their chamber like Joseph and weep and struggle in that pain. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you give them great grace today and divine forgiveness, not to forget what's been done, but to be able to show grace in every circumstance, that their heart would be healed by the one who loved them first, most, and best, the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would be able to be the agent of righteousness that you've called them to be in their family. Bless them with this grace today, we pray. And for every other situation that has crossed our mind's eye today by means of the Holy Spirit, oh God, would you minister and would you do your best by us? Pray these things in Jesus' matchless name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Would you stand with us today? For those of you who are VBS parents, uh, the kids are welcome to stay through second service and sing again. Uh, our children's director, Jody, has things planned for them all morning. If you need to pick them up, great. But if you want them to 
hang out and you want to see what Bob Evans has to offer, this is your chance. If you're new here this morning, stop by the Welcome Center and see Pastor Otto. He'd love to tell you more about the church. And if not, stop and say hi to somebody else. God bless you.